One of our favorite things to do here at Beyond Healing Center is therapeutic retreats. Our retreats are three to five days with holistic wraparound services, all designed to meet your personal needs and goals. You can choose from a menu of services, including EMDR, trauma-informed massage, nervous system-informed yoga and movement, and even equine therapy. From the moment you arrive to the moment you leave, we've crafted this experience to be one of safety and healing. Whether you're interested in a retreat for yourself, or if you're a therapist interested for a client, we would love to talk to you about how our retreats can be a part of a healing journey. Contact our retreat coordinator at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com or visit our website at beyondhealingcenter.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a guide for your healing journey. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, where we value each person's humanity and what life experiences shaped you to be who you are. We, as the hosts of this podcast, seek to embody these ideas as we explore things like trauma, its impact on the body and mind, and even how it has shaped the way that we are in relationships. Trauma is not the end of our journey. So within this podcast, we will also discuss what it's like to heal, move forward, and grow as a human who has experienced pain. Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a podcast and now a YouTube video as a guide for your healing journey. So here we all are again in our new studio setup that we're <laughs> still very excited about. Lots of mobility. Yes, and room, and we have tea. Um, today, we're going to start by uh, reading a question that we got from a listener. And I'm super excited about this question. I think we all are, because when you read it to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much to so say much about to that. Say. Oh. And it could go... So you want to break it down in parts? Well, I don't know. I think, I think let's just start with the question. Mm. And then I would love for each of us to just say, what's like the first thing that you think of nice. when you okay. hear this question, like what comes to mind initially? Cause it could go a lot of different places. Okay. I have not heard it yet. So I'm very mm, it's going to be good. Jen, you got a question for us? I am ready. I think <laughs> let me just make sure I find it. Okay. So what are some ways that a person with chronic disability can repair their relationship or get on good terms with their body when often it feels like the body is the one that is not within their control? Mm. So much. Mm-hmm. First, instinct. first impressions. We're all looking at you. Because <laughs> oh, okay. um, you look like you're deep in thought well, and yeah, interested. Oh, actually, deep in a lot of feeling. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that that question really gets at a very subjective view of someone's experience as having struggles or disabilities in certain areas and if that's formal or informal um, in some way experiencing a barrier in connection with themselves and other people and that to me i don't know just hits hits the feelings Mm -hmm. of you know a such a consistent going back to my body is 
the one that's failing me. Mm -hmm. And if I could just have a different body, um, or if I could just have a different, you know, fill in the blank of whatever it is, then maybe my life would be different or things would be better. And that's just a really, a very real feeling Mm -hmm. to sit in. Mm Well, I'm just going to say the question is specifically with disability, but my mind immediately goes to like chronic pain, yeah. body image, um, health conditions, like long-term health conditions and medical issues. Like it just opens up to, feels like such a relevant question that can be so applicable to just about anybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm eager to explore it and talk more about it. But I think that, yeah, it's not just the focus on disability, but we can apply it to a mm-hmm. lot of different people. Mm-hmm. So I think like my initial kind of string of thoughts, because there's several that happen pretty quickly, but I think the first one and the main one has to do with the privilege of a non-suffering body. Yeah. And some of our cultural struggles with stories that we tell around pain and suffering and the the privileging like yes it is a privilege to have a pain-free body but also we culturally privilege pain-free bodies that function in the most normative way and because of that there can be this uh, story that we get immersed in of if there's something going wrong in scare quotes wrong with my body then that is my body failing right it is breaking down it's not doing what it is supposed to do and there is no biological reason why we tell ourselves that story well that's a complicated thing (laughs) um there that is a a social story Mm -hmm. more than it is a biological story and it's really tied in with our cultural feelings towards aging and anything that we see as a sign of our own frailty and it at the very very bottom of it goes all the way down to our desperate desire to avoid the reality of our own death for as long as possible Mm. so this conversation could go real deep (laughs) and so i i guess like you know the question is well how far do we want to go because this could in my world this can get incredibly existential or it could get really uh, social political. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot to be said from a perspective of social activism in this area. For instance, this is connected to the conversation for those of us that consider ourselves uh, body workers and somaticists that we have to be very mindful of any time that we're talking about embodiment that not all bodies feel like a welcoming home to the person that is living in it. And so when we're doing therapeutic work, we have to be really mindful of what we're actually suggesting and encouraging. For instance, a transgender body by its very nature does not feel at home in the skin that it was born in. So to tell that person that the height of health is to feel embodied and at home in their body is to invalidate huge portions of their whole identity. And so um, like that to me is also connected to this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and so for all of those reasons, I think when we're exploring this, the the centering of diversity and the centering of being really careful about accident, 
to like privileging certain versions of body. Um, and that goes for a pain-free body or a pain-filled body. It goes a sick body, a well body, and whatever that means. Um, and so, yeah, I think there, there's a lot of nuances to this question. But then I also hear just a really um, kind of heartfelt desire to have a better relationship with the skin I live in. Mm-hmm. And I think that is relevant to us all, well, regardless. Yeah, I think about there's this voice in my head that's like hearing a lot of gaslighting stories mm-hmm. around or just top down of, well, you know, it's the only body you got. So mm-hmm. you might as well feel thankful for it. Yeah. Be or, grateful you're, you're here and that you're alive. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, there, there's so many, even with, uh, I'm thinking of like invisible disabilities where it's something that can't be perceived from mm-hmm. the outside. Yeah. Why are you upset? Like what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. No, that, you know, this is, this is about someone's subjective limitation to experiencing life in the way that they feel mm-hmm. and desire to, um, so really, to me, there's just so much humility and a posture of really wanting to just connect with that person in that space, knowing that that's also potentially something that could be activating, not just challenging. Mm-hmm. And to really just recognize that culturally, because of that moment in time where we are so averse to death, dying, aging, breaking down, and being quote-unquote disabled, um, there's a lot of unlearning and unpacking we have mm-hmm. uh, to do in therapy and in, as you said, Melissa, culturally and, and from an activist standpoint, um, you know, it, it's not something that can just be thought through mm-hmm. or you just need to see it a different way. Um, I'm thinking of even my partner, Olivia, she, for much of her life, has really struggled with adrenal fatigue and with mm-hmm. um, Hashimoto's. And that is an invisible disability. And mo- many people don't know it, but when she gets into a, a moment of fatigue, it's not a choice mm-hmm. to get up yeah. or to mm-hmm. go to school or to go to work. It's I'm physically incapable and I hate myself for it because mm-hmm. I feel like I should mm-hmm. just be able to power my way through this yeah. and I can't. And that is such a helpless feeling even just as her partner like there's nothing i can do and i'm a therapist Mm -hmm. (laughs) like and i'm a very integrated therapist in that i'm very familiar with supplements and nutrition and diet and health and and trying to see somebody holistically but i can't i can't touch that Mm -hmm. and so to me it's there's a lot in this question (laughs) still i feel like we're still just talking about or around it. No, I, th- I think like to me, it goes right to the core of us resisting, culturally resisting the necessity of wrestling with the question of suffering and its existence constantly. Yeah. And the need for us individually to make some decisions about what, what do we actually believe about suffering and what um, kind of creepy belief systems, and by creepy I mean like they're they're behind the scenes creeping in and mm-hmm. we're not super conscious of them, 
of uh, privileging anti-suffering. Um, and there's this uh, theory called the just world theory that every human being alive is subject to accidentally because it's kind of built into our genetic makeup to process this way, is that if a bad thing happens to someone else, then I immediately want to know how are they doing something wrong so that I can avoid that bad thing happening. Yeah. An easy example is if somebody gets lung cancer, we immediately ask, well, do they smoke? Because yeah. I don't smoke, then I don't need to worry, right? Yeah. Because they got it because they did that bad thing. And so if I don't do that bad thing, then I'm safe, right? Wow. It's our way of distancing ourselves from the hardships um, out of fear. And uh, I think like that is at the core of this as well, because that lets us resist the big question of what do we do about suffering? When that, I think, is what creates this culture of shame. Mm -hmm. Like, as you're describing the shame that Olivia has in that, rather than this experience of this is what my body has and is how it's responding in this moment and how can I, like, honor and care for and respond to it. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's this huge shame narrative because... I don't want to care for it. Like, I hate it. Yes. And I want to push myself probably Mm -hmm. to limitations that actually like hurt that process Mm -hmm. even more so and and perpetuate the issue because of that shame narrative. And we're so quick to want to blame and shame so that we feel protected in this, in our um, abilities or our privilege Mm -hmm. to say like, well, you know, what is it they did or didn't do? And how can I like not have to feel that and suffer from that? So there's blame and shame. And that just creates a whole nother like culture around like disability or conditions and this othering of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one of the um, bits that I think about a lot because of the work that we do is the impact that trauma has on the body and how it manifests as all kinds of disease, particularly inflammatory disordered diseases, which a lot of them are. Um, And there's this like little tidbit of research that's been done on the PTSD riddled body. Mm. And one of the things that they found is that when um, PTSD is manifesting in the nervous system, meaning all of the classical symptoms, hypervigilance, et cetera. Um, One of the things that is also present is muscle inhibition. So your large muscle groups are actually uh, deactivated by your nervous system. It removes electrical stimulation to your large muscles. Your your nervous system literally chooses to weaken you, Uh which on one level is like, well, that's not, (laughs) it's like, that's exactly the opposite of what you need to do. But from a body perspective, when we are injured, uh, the answer is to go lay down. (laughs) Like you're hurt, like go lay down so that you can heal, right? But but us with our big rational brains um, have sometimes a much more nuanced understanding of our reality and, and can recognize like this is not actually helpful right now. Yeah. Or we want to rationally overcome the the body's natural design to help us heal. And we get in this tug of war with our body. It's trying to help us and we're mad at it for its assistance. And I think that that comes back to um, our general attitude about what it means when we slow down. Mm -hmm. 
What does it mean to be weak? In this case, literally, muscularly weak, unable to do the things that other people can do. And even though your body might look just like somebody else's, your muscles are de-inhibited and they're or inhibited and they're atrophying yeah. because of the emotional trauma that you've been through. And to me, that's such a, a picture of how connected all of this is mm. and our incredible emotional engagement with uh, what our body is capable of or not capable of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The way this email is written is she used the words like, how do we repair mm -hmm. our relationship with our body? And it just sparks this like thought for me of, it's like an arranged marriage. Like we are like in this relationship, <laughs> we don't get to choose no it. Right? Yeah. And, but it is a relationship. Mm -hmm. And it is like, what does that repair process look like to be in a relationship with your body? Not the gaslighting, well, you should love your body and you should be mm -hmm. fine with it. But how do I like validate my experience of myself with my body yeah. and what that is like and the struggles and the pains of it, mm -hmm. but also come into communication with it yeah. and contact with it and embrace it as a relationship that's in my life and it will be forever. Yeah. I find that like really interesting that like that analogy feels like accurate for you and your body. I have for the longest time felt like my body is my mother that is always trying to slow me down. <laughs> right. It's like my body gave birth to me and here I am trying to do all these things. And it's always telling me like, slow the heck down. <laughs> Look, what are you doing? You're going to hurt yourself. Go sit down, like go slower. And uh, at the same time, there's this tremendous sensation of nurturing that I experience being in my body. And, you know, I have a very traumatized both, uh, you know, soul, spirit and body. Like we were all in it together when the trauma happened. But the, the, the felt impact on the flesh of me versus the heart of me versus the mind of me, it can feel really different. Yeah. And I think in that question, that's part of that <coughs> sensation of it hits those different parts of us really differently. And we can get kind of torn and fractured from all of the different layers of ourself in the midst of a, a, either a physical or emotional trauma because each part of it is trying to process it and just keep surviving and we do it in very different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's just this experience in me of wanting to bring both like insight and validation of like insight of the ways in which it's been a barrier and what real kind of implications that has had throughout the lifespan mm -hmm. while also wanting to validate the the true kind of feelings of this is a barrier i am so ma mad at other people for the way that they treat me because of it but mm -hmm. i'm also so mad at myself um, for having it in the first place and for, you know, struggling in the ways that I am and I should just overcome it or where are all these should statements that may be coming out um, and how then, like what then? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, great. So you're going to tell me to, you know, inspect all the areas of my life that my disability has affected me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then you're going to have me bring validation and attunement to my own emotional experience interesting what <laughs> then because mm -hmm. i'm still stuck in this mm -hmm. or i'm still here or i'm still in a relationship with somebody that has this or yeah. 
Yeah. And it's that right there that makes me come back to that question of we have to decide what we think about suffering. Yes. Like if, if we keep avoiding that question, it's the same thing that people do when they hear about a grief process and they immediately think about the end of it, yeah. which is erroneous. Like a grief process is just, you know, you'll be in this cycle till the day you die. Right. Like a true loss, you'll never be done grieving it. That's the sadness that you carry forever. So the grief process is just a way of validating a constancy that you'll carry in your body forever now. Yeah. And when you describe it that way, Bridger, like it's very much that same thing. Yeah. It's it's about telling ourselves the truth about our situation, and there is no why there, or what to do yeah, next. It's just this is. And the you know speaking really directly to that question of what do we do to begin to repair? Personally, I think it does begin with tell yourself the truth yeah. on every level about not only what is happening in your body. But also, what are you telling yourself about the fact that it's happening? Yeah. What meaning are you making out of it? And looking at that story and asking, like, is this, does this story have to be the story? Right. Yeah. yeah. Is this truth for me or is it a construct I have picked up mm-hmm. elsewhere and I'm applying to the situation? Yeah. yeah. I think we really have to wrestle with that, you know. It, this is, and Melissa, I love the way you're saying it, this is something that's just here. This mm-hmm. is just a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a part of life and for for me and for those that I'm in relationship with. And so within that space then, how do we move forward? How do mm-hmm. we have life? Um, I've talked about this couple before. Um, I can't remember if it was on this podcast or not, but um, processing end-of-life um, grief, preemptively for Mm -hmm. the husband who had cancer and the wife who was a nurse. Um, And you can imagine all the charge that that brings with it Mm -hmm. of my husband is dying. Mm -hmm. And we went through this whole um, kind of experience of, you know, I can't do anything Mm -hmm. to help with this. Like I can just make him comfortable, um, but ultimately he's going to die. And in that, so much of the work was about how can we bring connection to this body who is breaking down and is incapable of feeling connection in the ways that they have their entire marriage, Mm -hmm. you know, hand holding hurts now, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. physical intimacy is like, no way Mm -hmm. can that happen. And how then can, like, are we even still in a relationship then Mm -hmm. like that, that, kind of panicked line of reasoning to say, I'm not me anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I've lost, mm-hmm. I've lost myself in this disease. And that work, there's nothing that, like for me as a therapist, like there's nothing I can tell you that's going to make you feel any better. And this isn't really, you know, this isn't a trauma in the way that we understand trauma psychologically from a PTSD perspective. You know, nothing happened to cause this. There was the day that you got your diagnosis mm-hmm. and then it was like an, uh, the end began. Mm-hmm. And in that space then, I just found myself, and this isn't right or wrong, but I just found myself experiencing so much gratitude for being able to witness this mm-hmm. happening like, and to join it as much as I could. But to know that this is just like, how crazy, like this person is dying. Mm-hmm. And in that death, they're still wanting to connect. Mm -hmm. 
how can we you know how can we be fleshy humans together mm-hmm. in that space how can we be soft and and strong together because there's not anything to say mm-hmm. and that's what they made it very clear at the beginning it's like i don't even know why i'm here like there's mm-hmm. nothing that you can tell me yeah and i feel like the only way we get to the opportunity to for him in that scenario to still be able to connect is to be able to start to remove the shame yeah. Because that will just destroy any opportunity of that. If that, like, I don't even know why I'm here. I shouldn't be here. Like, there's no hope for me in this, or I'm not worthy of this, or whatever yeah. that is. Mm-hmm. To be able to say, like, I, he wouldn't even be able to accept his wife sitting with him in that pain, mm-hmm. or you sitting with them yeah. in that experience and feeling connection. Yeah. So I think there's there's not like a what do we do, but it's recognizing yeah, there's how no steps yeah the follow. shame experience will rob us of whatever we can't experience of yeah. connection in those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yes, I do think it's about bringing insight into the areas that it's affecting, and it's about validating, like pardon my language, but like the shittiness yeah. Yeah. of that. Like that's mm-hmm. not fair, mm-hmm. um, especially you know, and just. Um, recent onset or even you know just a disease that set in later in life is such an interesting thing because you have so much life to compare it to before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to where a disability or something you've been living with your entire life you don't have experience outside of that you you were always affected by it and so it's just different Um, and I think just having that sense of it's just okay to be different in however you're presenting and finding community it's just such an important thing of a support group that's going through it or you know for olivia finding facebook posts of people talking about life with hashimoto's Mm -hmm. is the most like validating like god i'm not alone like Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm just so lazy and such Mm -hmm. you know just like making all these excuses when i just can't get out of bed Mm -hmm. um but it's not it's not my fault Mm -hmm. yeah and i think in this we're asking you know what what do we do to repair that relationship with our body but even as you're talking about the loved ones, so in like your scenario with Olivia's just as a whole seeing, even as like a partner or a friend, the shame that we carry then and like, I can't help you or I can't do anything about it or my body is able in the ways that your body is unable. Yeah. Is we carry that shame, it will block us in the experience of connecting with them as well. Yeah. And it will either perpetuate the like, I need to blame something or someone because I feel too much shame in me about it. Yeah. The, it, it will be the connection is, is the best thing that we can offer in these things. And so to be just acknowledging how comfortable or uncomfortable am I with this person and their disability mm-hmm. or with myself and my disability and those around me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, just, it's just challenging. <laughs> um, it really is. Mm-hmm. And it affects our ability to connect with others. And in that way, like Olivia and I is a great example of last night. Like I got off my last session at seven o'clock. It was a phone session. So I was at home. Um, I had gotten the groceries and Olivia was wanting to help prepare dinner, but she sat down and was wanting to read her book and she fell asleep mm-hmm. and she slept for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she got up, it, it's, it's a charged awakening. It's not right. restful. Right. So she's, saying i'm sorry as she's waking up oh my gosh i'm just like i'm just so sorry and i wanted to help um and i wanted to read my book Mm -hmm. 
and I just fell asleep. Um, you know, there's not like, there, you can only say like, it's okay. Like, I, I'm not mad at you at all. Like, I completely <laughs> understand. And I'm happy to do this. And, I, and you know, I push away with humor sometimes. Like, I'm a two. And mm-hmm. I was this by myself as an introvert. This is dope. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I get to make food by myself and then serve Four it to years. you yes. as you wake up. I couldn't Dream ask for true. a better <laughs> situation. Um, but to sit with the feelings, again, there's nothing I can say. Mm-hmm. And we can, yeah, we're going to keep trying to find a way to help her. Um, mm-hmm. we're going to go see more doctors and we're going to mm-hmm. go see somebody who will take it seriously. Cause that's another thing that I think yeah. is ridiculous. Um, but to just stay connected mm-hmm. as best we can. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just weird. I do think what, like one really practical piece, like for those of us that, um, you know, have autoimmune disorders and things like that. And I don't even remember like who finally shared this with me. And I feel like it has been tremendously important in my shift in the way that I experience my own body, which is still riddled with pain on most days. Like, you know, I'm a hot mess over here, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel um, as overwhelming Mm -hmm. and the muscle inhibition is gone. Right. So that's, it's a way that I can kind of track my, my body's process. And part of what I attributed to is the suggestion that even on days where pain is present to still have a practice of pleasure mm-hmm. because the the pleasure activations in our body are very healing and they also send signals of safety mm-hmm. uh, interoceptively to our system and so even when um, there is pain looking for moments and sometimes it's small and sometimes it's really extravagant of how can I give my body sensory, like very deeply sensory experiences of pleasure, not go do something you like to do. That's not what I'm talking about at all. Um, But if you're going to take a bath because your body needs that because it's in pain, how sensorily pleasant and amazing and decadent can you make it? Um, And this just like slams in the face of some of our shame around self-care. Now I think culturally we're getting better about it. But there are some bodies that for us, like doing doing things like getting a massage or paying somebody to, you know, paint my toenails because there's a foot massage involved in that, you guys. <laughs> like that, that kind of stuff. It's not about how can I do self-care? It's about, no, my body needs to remember that it can also feel good. Yeah. It needs to have sensations of feel good. So should I eat sugar? No. But do I sometimes eat sugar because it makes my body go, oh, chocolate feels good, right? Like that's good for me too. And it reduces cortisol. Every time that we have a moment of pleasure, it's it's dropping those hormones that are causing inflammation. And so creating practices around pleasure, like whatever you do, try to make it as pleasurable as you can. And whenever you find moments of pleasure, how long can you stay there? How much can you marinate in it? <laughs> and then not slam yourself into a shame spiral about taking the time, the energy, and the money to do so. Yeah. Because that's the pattern that I see a lot of people end up in. Um, and so that that principle of every day in big and little ways, and at this point in my life in many big ways, like I am a little bit obnoxious about seeking pleasure, not from a hedonistic perspective, but because it is a kind of medicine for bodies that have been traumatized. Yeah. 
like how much sensory pleasure can you pack into one day? I would like to do that for the rest of my life, please. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of live that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have no shame about it anymore. Back to the arranged marriage metaphor, which really just connects <laughs> in my mind. But like in that, it's like this is a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if we're going to be in that, there are going to be aspects of that that are painful or are mm-hmm. difficult, mm-hmm. but how do you find those moments of pleasure and yeah, really joy like, and connection? Yes. Yeah. Seek mm-hmm. that, like that, that's coming into relationship with your body mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, could feel safe, could feel good, yeah. could be desirable. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I used to panic anytime that I didn't, you know, sleep a night because insomnia is normal. And now my practice is on those days, there's just a lot more dance parties. And a lot more naps, both (laughs) naps and dancing is how I get through insomnia. That feels way better than just loading myself with caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) I still still do that too sometimes, to be honest, especially if it tastes good. Um, But I, I can strongly recommend that when you find yourself trying to repair connection with your body, what most of us mean is how do I like it again? How do I not view it as an enemy? How do I not constantly feel betrayed by it? And pleasure is our path back to remembering that this thing is not actually trying to kill us. In fact, quite the opposite. It's Mm -hmm. really interested in an abundant life for us. And pleasure is what wakes that up. Just anecdotally, um, for Olivia, what seems to be the biggest kind of beacon of hope is is connection with people. Mm -hmm. Um, If she can go to the gym and experience just, you know, laughter. Mm-hmm. That seems to be something that just creates a novel response in her system. Pleasure. Yeah, pleasure mm-hmm. with others. That's mm-hmm. like, oh man, we're still connected. We're still good. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, to me is what's kind of driving my response in this to this listener is like, you know, can we connect mm-hmm. in some way? And can we do something that we love together? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, you do your thing while I'm doing mine separate, but together. Um, that that to me shatters the myth of belief that the shame promotes mm-hmm. that you're broken and no one's going to be with you because you're this way. Yeah. And I think that that is at the core of everything that we're saying about this. Our, our body is not something to be fixed or perfected. That is not how we view it at all. And I think there's a lot of conversation around if there's a problem we fix it right there's always another thing to try (laughs) and i think that um at least in my experience that keeps us in a stress response uh, a lot longer sometimes than we need to be yeah Mm -hmm. and feeling like others view us as a problem Mm -hmm. yeah but there is hope and bodies do heal yes but also suffering is always present so answer thing. answer the suffering question, you guys. Figure out yeah. what you want to do about that because it'll always be with you. With yeah. What are you going to do about what, suffering? What is your personal philosophy on suffering? Have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Maybe an episode. <laughs> oh, gladly. I love talking about it. <laughs> All right, guys. Any final thoughts? I don't think so. Thank you for the question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be in deep thought on this one for a while. Mm -hmm. I think I can feel my system still processing all of that. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will aid you in your healing journey. If you are feeling inspired by something that you heard today and desire to seek out your own therapy, we would encourage you to do so 
and would be honored to support you in finding a therapist that is the right fit for you. You can contact us by emailing therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Beyond Trauma Podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, you might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media. Notice that is an EMDR podcast hosted by Andrea-approved consultants and trainers who use EMDR in their practice. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you in the stories you hear. The Evidence-Based Therapist is an educational podcast where we read so you don't have to. On this podcast, we discuss seminal, recent, and relevant research on psychotherapeutics and the embodied relational sciences. How do we know what is evidence-based and how do we use it in our practice? You'll find out on the EBT podcast.